Hello and welcome to Bright Wings, children's books to make the heart soar. I am your host, Charity Hill. The purpose of this conversation is to help mothers and fathers identify books that will liberate their children to embrace truth, goodness, and beauty. Well, friends, along the way, as I'm helping you find books that point your children to truth, goodness, and beauty, along the way, as I give you the ability to think through these things for yourself, I have an initiative within Bright Wings called Books Worth Reading. And the purpose of this initiative within Bright Wings is that you get to see how I evaluate literature. In this episode, I'm going to be reviewing The Wild Robot by Peter Brown, a book published in 2016. I'm going to give you a plot summary of the book, and my reviews are full of spoilers so that parents don't have to read the book in order to make an informed decision about whether it's right for their child. So I guess these book reviews have two purposes. The first is to save you time so that you kind of know what the book is and you can make a thoughtful choice uh, without having to read it yourself. Also, it's to teach you how to read a book. What is this book proposing about human flourishing? What is this book proposing about boyfriend-girlfriend relationships? Does the book have violence? What kind of violence? Does this book have a subtext? So along with plot summary, I try to give you a, a closer look. And then because I believe in nuance, I will try to offer you, if it's a meaty kind of book, I'll try to offer you good questions that you can ask your child about the book so that you can think about the book together, you can unpack it together, and you can connect with one another, even if you haven't read it. Because connecting with your child and having meaningful conversations about literature is the best thing in the world. Except for a nice MLT when the tomato is ripe and the mutton is nice and lean. Oh, that's so perky. I love that too. So let's turn from Princess Bride references and let's look at The Wild Robot by Peter Brown. It's a middle grade fiction work of 195 pages that details the story of Roz the Robot. Her factory name is Rosam7134, and she's part of a shipment of many of her kind. Her ship encounters a hurricane, and Roz is the sole surviving robot. She crashes onto an island, and all the other robots in, in the shipment either sink with the ship or are broken to pieces on the shore. She is activated by a group of playful otters and goes about exploring the island, which in fact terrifies all the animals on the island who consider her a monster. So this book is an interesting mix of AI, artificial intelligence, one would call it, and nature. So Roz takes in the environment and data around her, and the author proposes that she adapts to her environment. <clears throat> she stores data that more closely is more adequate to her inputs and to her environment. Roz's story is the story of how the robot overcomes the harshness of the animal's resistance and animosity to her. She's been programmed for helpfulness and peace. And so she doesn't have any aggression towards the animals and always diffuses um, when she's attacked. She always diffuses the situation peacefully. So she's a helping, problem-solving, anti-violence kind of robot. And the story is very interesting in how Roz overcomes these hardships of the animal's um, fearfulness and resistance to her and how she, as a quote-unquote learning robot, end quote, becomes more and more adequate to her environment, more and more wild, more in a certain sense, natural. 
even though she doesn't have a nature, really, she's entirely mechanical. Along the way, as Roz is living on this island, she accidentally causes a rock slide, which kills some geese. There's one surviving egg, which she starts to care for. And out of this egg hatches a gosling that she names Brightwing. Imitating the other motherly animals in the forest, Roz mothers Brightwing with the help of other geese. Roz also uh, helps the animals on the island to survive a bitter winter by uh, building them shelters and helping to heat them with fire. When Roz hosts a wild celebration, her bonfire attracts the attention of some reconnaissance robots flying an airplane overhead, and they come to the island to try to take back Roz. They think that she's defective, and they're going to bring Roz to the factory where she can be refurbished and then sold. We know from this, FYI, that this story is set in a sort of futuristic time. There's a great battle. Some of the animals actually give their lives to defend Roz. And at the end, Roz is just a trunk and a head. I think her her arms and legs have been lost. She realizes that more robots will be sent to collect her. And so to protect her friends, she gives herself up. I would say all in all, Peter Brown has written quite an interesting, delightful, and very imaginative book. It's a complicated idea to put into text. A a robot, a very unnatural thing, set into an island of that's absolutely wild, an island that's untouched by any human habitation. And Mr. Brown imagines this in quite a lot of detail. Uh, he, he does a lot of uh, good integration of imagining how a so-called learning robot could acquire information and so-called adapt to its environment. Wow, who could have thunk, right? I mean, what, a, what an interesting concept throwing two such unlike things into the same story. I also appreciate that he doesn't stint on the fact that wild animals are wild. So even when Roz is sheltering uh, predators and prey in the same winter shelter, sometimes the predators and the prey leave to go find food. And sometimes, the book mentions, one or the other of them doesn't come back. So in the shelter, there was a rule of not eating anybody, but outside of the shelter, the game was on. I appreciate the honesty of that. To enter into a little bit of my critique of the book, Brown mixes this kind of realism with a lot of anthropomorphization. That is to say, a lot of making animals like people and robots like people. So Roz, who as a robot, you think would be a fairly cold and unsympathetic figure, Brown is able to create her into being, did I say creature? She's almost a creature. He makes her very warm. There's no mistaking the fact that he calls Roz a she, right? That's the pronoun that we associate most with warmth and nurturing and sympathy. In a certain sense, he had to give Roz a pronoun and he had to give her the softest pronoun. He couldn't call Roz it because that wouldn't generate enough empathy with the readers, it seems. So let me say that I found the book quite disarming. From the outset, I was hesitant about this mix of mechanical and natural. But I think Peter Brown's The Wild Robot gives our children a lot of food for thought, if we can open up the conversation. Roz works very hard to maintain peace, promote, well, public good. She weathers hardships 
She sturdily nurtures her gosling brightwing. It's a very hearty, outdoorsy book, and it's sort of no surprise that it's really liked by boys, but it's definitely a boy and girl book. But here's where I want to enter into some of the deeper questions that are alluded to by such a story. And I would love it if you mothers and fathers would reflect with me on these things. The first thing that I want to think about is our obsession with making inanimate things animate, our obsession with making inanimate things alive. Our current modern or postmodern world vacillates between this, I think, and then the vicious reduction of natural things to simply chemical processes, to mechanical processes. What do I mean by this? I mean that we want a clinking conglomeration of stainless steel and plastic wires and computer chips to become alive. We want it to be a thinking thing. But meanwhile, we reduce the sprint of a cheetah to its physics and the kiss between spouses to be the outworkings of the selfish gene and its chemical processes. You see what I'm saying? We have to sidestep both of these. Overall, I think The Wild Robot is a pretty innocent, pretty creative book. It doesn't even realize, probably, that it's raising an age-old philosophical question. And that question is, what is the difference between a living and a non-living thing? Another story raises this question and its implications. In the Mysterious Benedict Society, what is the difference between the violet on Mr. Benedict's desk and the violet on Mr. Curtin's desk? One is alive and in need of water, incidentally, and the other is fake. When my husband would teach philosophy, he would bring a whole lot of different objects to, to his classroom, his university classroom, and spread them out on, on the podium or the platform or the table where he was teaching. He would spread them out, a whole lot of stuff, and, and they would talk about the difference between non-living things. And so they would observe, the students would observe, well, it, it can't actually be material, that's the difference between living and non-living things, because both living and non-living things have stuff. In fact, families, you could have the most interesting f science class or philosophy class or philosophy of science class yourself right at home by doing the same thing with your children. There is a difference between living and non-living things. And the wild robot does a very good job of being curious about this question. And I want to flag for you my slight concern, my slight worry that the wild robot creates aspirations that inanimate things become alive, it creates a warmth or an openness, a friendliness towards such things. Is this any different than the joy we have in unicorns, Mrs. Hill? Well, I would answer, I think there's a difference because horses are already alive. And I would propose robots never will be. So I think wild robots require a few more conversations. But that's okay. Those conversations are worth having. What are some other notions that the wild robot raises? Well, it raises a question that the Hill family tries to be really clear about. And that is that computers will never think. They will never do what we do when we think. And human minds will never compute. We need to examine such language and aggressively strike it out of our personal vocabulary. When my computer is taking time to process data, it's not thinking. 
It's not waking up. When I take time in solitude, I'm not recharging my batteries. Yes, I am going to quibble with you about that because I think these small things reveal us to ourselves. So I want to say, Roz is not a she. She isn't living and she doesn't adapt. She doesn't survive. She doesn't have friends. She's not a mother and she doesn't have a son. Except by simile. Except through some analogy. I'm trying to be hard-headed here. Roz acquires new information and more data, and she uses it to respond sensitively to her environment. Really, Roz has no interiority because she's a robot, but we have to anthropomorphize her. She doesn't have character, but she, of course, in a certain sense, develops. She has stored data that closely adequates to her inputs more and more sensitively. Shoot, I can't even use the word sensitively because that has to do with senses. But let me point out something beautiful, beautiful, because I'm really not trying to ruin the premise of this story. (laughs) The author, Peter Brown, can't help but anthropomorphize not only Roz, but also all the creatures that live on the island. He tries to keep the, the wild animals as wild as possible, but we can't help give them motivations, character, kindness, hard work. And it's clear, it's clear that the lovable place is the natural world, not the world of the robots that come on the plane to take Roz away. The wild island is really the place where our heart is in this book and not in the fields being maintained by robots on the mainland. Roz was programmed with a receptivity to learning, to becoming more and more adequate to her environment. And that is a quote-unquote programming that is more like a natural thing. So the more and more closely Roz takes the natural world as her model, the more and more she develops what I would call character the more and more she develops interiority, the interiority that more closely resembles a creature, a created thing, a natural thing, than that of a machine. And it's because she's she's becoming, she's being more and more adequate to the wild environment that she becomes more and more character. She develops kind of motivations and, and almost emotions. She becomes quite heroic. And probably we like her best of all the characters on the island. We find her the most sympathetic because she is as close to nature as can be, and yet she is somewhat distinct from nature. We find her the most sympathetic character and far more sympathetic than the violent robots who come to take her back to be refurbished. Why do we have this sympathy for Roz? Why is she the most sympathetic character? I think it's because humans are closer to animals, closer to the natural world than we are to the mechanical world. That's why I would still describe Roz and the wild animals on the island as warm. And my response to the reconnaissance robots that come to collect Roz as my response is repugnance to them. The wild robot marvelous little book at 195 pages. It gives you the opportunity to have conversations with your child about what is the difference between a living and a non-living thing? What is a better model for what it means to be human? 
the mechanical or the natural? What's the difference between a living violet and a non-living violet? What's the difference between Roz and the reconnaissance robots? Do computers think? Do our minds compute? What would it be like to crash on an island the way Roz does? Do you think it would be easier for you than it was for Roz or harder? Why would it be easier? Why would it be harder? So many very interesting questions to talk about with your child. I hope this review of The Wild Robot by Peter Brown has helped you decide whether this book is a book worth reading. 